Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Steve Rogers, and I smell a cover-up. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 61, which begins with Bruce telling Tony he can control it, and ends with Steve's stealthy leap. Joining us on the show, it's the Timeline Scavengers themselves back in the house. That's right, James Anderson, Colin Parker. Hello, you two. Hello. Hey, hey. We're here. Here we are. Uh, we are thrilled. We are thrilled to talk about this minute with you. And uh, my first question, as we learned last time you were on when we were talking about the car wash, we learned the secret to the, the picking of the minutes, that uh, Colin's yeah. minutes were very specific while James's were just drawn out of a hat, essentially. Uh, which one is this? Well-oiled machine. That's what you guys are. This is drawn out of a hat. This is, <laughs> this the, is, this hat. is the drawn out of a hat. Yep. We're recording okay. one of each tonight. A uh, little peek behind the curtain. Oh, fantastic. Hey, hey, letting people know what's going on. Is that right, Colin? You I believe the... so. I believe, Yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I think I was just kind of like, listen, I love the whole movie, but there's two things in particular I want to see, and then everything else I think is kind of like fair game, I think. Oh no! It's the next one after this. Never mind. It, it's it's you, the one you specifically said. I think is the one after the one we're recording. Yeah, I, the one that was but, for me that was like like for lack of a better term non negotiable. Although obviously, if someone picked it before us, I would have been like, okay, that's fine. Uh, no, but like, I wouldn't let that happen. Yeah. Oh, oh well, that's nice. I got you, but I like Colin and James come to just throw down with other guests. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're gonna start a whole new show of just <laughs> guest fights. <laughs> guest on guest by minute. Guest fights. <laughs> Interesting. Hang on, I got to register a domain. Totally unrelated. <laughs> I'm sure members would love to pay. To I feel like that's a really that. cool idea, but you got to be really careful because I feel like that's a lion's den situation. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I will absolutely I so. leave this call immediately. <laughs> 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 no, you're good. You're good. Hang on, I got to set up a new uh, Patreon. Shut up. Because right. <laughs> oh, yep. the the thing about that is, you either get your really athletic uh, sort of uh, workout, but you also could get a really cool Foley thing going on uh, with an audio medium and be like, oh no, I'm, oh, he's throwing a chair. Ching, ching, ching. Everyone has to bring their own Foley. That's, that's, <laughs> and then, yeah. then, then we get to like talk, oh, we can vote later, like which Foley actually would win. <laughs> Was it the chicken? Friend or Foley? <laughs> Ooh, that's good. <laughs> Andy, I thought this idea was really, really stupid, but guests bringing their own Foley just made it a real thing in my head. It just became a show. This is your fault. This is on you. I we're going to do why we're show. here. It, uh-huh. This is going to have to be tag here. team because I would rely heavily on Colin uh, bringing anything at all. I have my <laughs> Golden Girls sound uh, cue that I could bring. That's pretty much it. That's what I'm bringing. I'm sure, I'm sure that could win. Uh, many, many of the many of the challenges. Do not mess with B. Arthur. That's uh, true. That's true. Disembodied voice of B. Arthur. Guest fights: colon friend or Foley. This is happening for real. All right. Well, let's let's get into this minute here. So we're talking about we're starting this minute in the Wishbone Lab. This uh, we're mid conversation between Tony and Bruce as they're talking about uh, basically like their 
of their powers. Specifically, they're kind of talking about Bruce at this particular point in time about how Tony can control his powers. He learned how, and for Bruce, it's different. And uh, the whole thing with Gamma and the other guy and all this sort of stuff. So let's talk a little bit about these two in this conversation. So, uh, I mean, how does this play for you? I really like it. Um, I think it's always cool to see basically two guys talking about insecurities and feelings of being out of control and stuff like that. I think there's a really cool therapy uh, element to this um, sort of uh, share, sharing of feelings and stuff that it feels uh, really cool to find in the middle of a, a Marvel superhero, you know, popcorn movie. I also feel like what is kind of cool to me is that they'd never really address it. I think in the MCU proper, but you know, when you look at Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 before this, right? Tony, uh, and actually really Iron Man 3 kind of touches on old Tony Stark as well. Tony is seen drinking quite a lot. And although he does kind of like make a drink in this movie, you know, he doesn't really, he doesn't really get like drunk anymore. And I don't necessarily think they ever went necessarily the full Tony Stark as an alcoholic route. But I feel like they were kind of towing that line a few times. And there's something about him post Iron Man 2 that is a little bit more about controlling himself a little bit. Although he still is smug and, you know, oh, you know, I'm so smart. I'm the smartest one in the room. But then I think he likes when Banner's there because I think it really depends on the field. I think either one could be the smartest in the room. Like, I think... You know, as much as Tony has learned about certain types of sciences overnight, as he mentions in a previous scene, uh-huh. uh, like definitely Banner could run circles around him in certain regards. But like, I don't think Banner could build a Iron Man suit. Yeah. Yeah. Per se. Or if he did, it wouldn't be like as good kind of thing. Like, I think that they both respect each other's like knowledge. And at the same time. Tony likes to sort of, I mean, he he says it, I believe, later. He likes to poke the bear. Um, or maybe he just said it. I don't remember which order the different scenes in the lab happen. But, like, he likes to poke the bear because I think that he's the only person, in my opinion, in this movie that actually trusts Banner. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's. I mean, does he trust or is he still playing? Because so much of of what we were kind of talking about, I love that you brought it back around to like the poking at that alcoholism and the uh, post Iron Man two stuff. Because so much of what we get from Tony on the bridge uh, in the helicarry, it's it's really the that his sort of version of drunken master, right? Like he is absolutely sloppy and he's like, he's clumsy and he's abrasive and he's jokester. But meanwhile, he's placing bugs all over the place. And this, this whole conversation in the lab is his sort of drunken master version of talking with somebody that he actually respects. Like, I kind of feel like he's just poking to see what else is under there, right? This is him experimenting some more. Has he zapped Grant Banner yet? He has, right? That was, that was like uh, four minutes ago or so. Okay, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't remember if that was right after this or right before it. Because I guess it, it definitely would be before Thor shows up. So I guess that does make sense. And it was before, it was before Steve. Steve comes in right as he's doing it and gets right. on his case. And that kind of is the in, where their uh, argument starts. And then it continues until Steve walks out in a huff and then goes to... Uh, to do this little, little side yeah, mission. investigation, yeah. right. This conversation is the more subtle version of the electric shock. 
This is okay. So you didn't turn when I zapped you. What can what can you do when I'm when I'm full Tony Starking at you? Like, <laughs> well, the relationship between them is it, it is so interesting. We were just talking about this um, with our guest in the last minute about this this idea of. Uh, of Tony finding in Bruce somebody that he can actually talk to. And this is like potentially the first person that might become one of this team that he's actually interested in and everyone else. He kind of sees himself not necessarily above, although he probably does, but more that they just aren't working to kind of achieve the levels he is as far as like they didn't do the reading, like that sort of thing. And Bruce is the sort of person who can actually have the sort of conversation that Tony is interested in having. And so there is this position that he's kind of taking this conversation here about, I I genuinely want to know more about you and I want to have this conversation with you because I don't want you to leave because you probably are the only reason that I would actually want to stay on this team. Yeah. I think the drunken master thing also kind of interestingly enough, because they are very similar in many regards, feels very Bruce Wayne to me. Like, sure. Even though Tony Stark is always Tony Stark and Iron Man and he are one since he came out in to the, the world. MCU, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Well, even in the comics now, it's like eventually, you know, but yeah. Know, yeah, no, but like even in like the modern tellings, like by now they, he always, it, or every time they reset the timeline, it's always like he immediately. Um, but like the thing to me is though is the idea of when he's up on that bridge, he's sort of playing that aloof billionaire guy because that's what everyone sees on TV and that's what they expect of him. And it lets him get away with the stuff because they're kind of like oh, this guy again. But really, at the back of his mind, you know, he's already formulating a plan. He's already thinking. He's already like everything is already firing off, which is why he does the bugging. And I think that's why he goes down to talk with Banner, too, because it's, you know, when he's like, this doesn't stink to you, you know, like, he knows that Banner is smart enough to see something else is happening kind of situation. And I like the way that he kind of plays off of that, because, again, like, the way he even interacts with Cap is not how he interacts with Banner at all. But you know how beautifully this is blocked, though, is exactly to parallel the same sort of tete-a-tete that he goes with, you know, with with Stevie's got his stuff on and he's they're fighting in the woods. And this one, they're playing the mirror game, the improv game, right? It's perfectly mm-hmm. set up to go head to head. So they're kind of matching face and matching swipes on the see-through screen uh, and, until they get to sort of last word each other, which I think is a really artful way to mimic what they did with fists in the last sequence with Tony and and Stephen Thor. There's such breakfast club vibes here for me (laughs) where it's like, uh, Bruce Banner is like the, like I've been thinking since we started talking about like the difference between like a, a, a gifted engineer and a scientist and how Tony can go from theory to practice and build the thing that he was just talking about. And Bruce is more of a, like, I can get there eventually with science, but like, if you give me a cave and some metal, I might have a, a little bit of an issue. Right. This exchange is like, <laughs> all right, follow me with this. Uh, Judd Nelson and Anthony Michael Hall in Breakfast Club, but they're superheroes and Judd Nelson is like off the charts gifted. Like he's the, he's the kind of like slacker that is slacking because the teacher isn't even on his level. And this feels like a conversation where he's like, my 
gift for understanding this stuff has allowed me to live a life and find a, a purpose other than the work. And it feels like in Bruce, we have the kind of guy that only has, that has spent so much time in the lab. And then he has this extra part of him that actually takes life experience away from him. So he has a bit of a nihilistic uh, streak in him. And it's, a, it's such an interesting thing to see like those two, it's almost like a philosophical debate going on where it's like, you can do anything. There's something there for you versus what and why and who cares. And, you know, am I even going to experience it if the other guy who I refuse to call his branded name, is he going to be the one that experiences it because he's the strong one, um, which is something he's going to wrestle with for like four movies or something like that. We have talked a lot about this Hulk that we get in this film and how we really like that there is this darkness, this edge, this sense of scariness to this particular Hulk that we don't necessarily have in the subsequent films. And what uh, what I'm getting from kind of, you know, as you're talking about that, it got me thinking that, you know, this conversation is in some capacity well this conversation kind of like the the relationship that that Tony and Banner will kind of uh develop moving forward but like this is the thing that perhaps Bruce actually needed to actually start making those character changes and so that he wasn't this guy who was living on the edge but was actually l- taking some lessons from Tony and learning how to kind of live in a in a way where he could manage stuff better and so over the course of this franchise we can see that you know hulk does change quite a bit and maybe this is kind of part of the reason why it feels to me like a conversation between uh uh, uh, someone with adhd and someone with bipolar and they have similar things that that are similar in the way they express themselves and yet different sort of conclusions reached and it feels like Tony um, Bruce Banner is the is like the 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 low low mood, uh, and then the Hulk is the high the heightened mood. And so the low mood is like, what's what's even the point? And and Tony's like, but you're brilliant. What is going on? I'm always up here. Yeah. And I, I just think I think that there's that there's so much to the idea of of seeing someone similar like I'm in a, like in a mirror like we were saying but like hopefully Bruce is able to find something in this person that is like you're saying like someone that's similar to him but different in in hopefully some productive ways that we can see as you said like going forward through this movie and the and the subsequent movies and turning him into sort of a more well-rounded peaceful creature that we maybe can see in a couple of uh yeah years half a decade or whatever yeah i mean and that's personally i mean i feel like i i kind of struggle with that a little bit too because like i definitely much prefer avengers one and avengers two and even most of ragnarok hulk like mm-hmm. ragnarok starts giving you the idea that hulk can actually fully understand more than you know just you know smash kind of thing or like we're attacking here's the thing um you know, he starts having like kind of conversations and I don't think that's like the downfall at all. Uh, but I feel like part of Hulk's magic, I think a little bit to me is the tragedy of the character. And I think that 
we're kind of losing a little bit of that sense of the character, which I think is also fine. Like, I think you can kind of go through a story arc where things kind of improve, things get better. But I also think that Hulk kind of eventually, even in comics, when he has these better moments, things end up kind of leveling back out, uh, which is where I hope we kind of end up because, um, I don't know, I just think he's a much, he's a really fascinating character to me in this movie from start to finish. Uh, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner, I think, is really, really good. Like, I really like him in this role. Um, And I feel like this scene is, like, maybe one of the better examples of it. Like, uh, that and also the scene where, you know, he first kind of, they all start to argue in the lab. Like, that whole bit, I think all of these scenes in the lab are really strong Banner characterizations. One of the things that I, uh, you know, noted for like this scene in particular was the moment where they go to the, he, you know, he swipes away all the stuff that they're looking at so they can just look at each other through the glass. And I think for sure that their reflections are added in with CGI because, uh, I was thinking that because specifically Tony Stark looks a little off. Yeah. And I think that that's probably just a matter of depending on how you do it, there might not fully be a way of not getting the camera in that shot or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is that they're doing there or, you know, because they have all these things on the glass in order to put the green screen effect, like for the CGI bits probably makes it so they can't fully film in that kind of uh, space. But I also think that there's a moment where I think it's the second time you go back to Banner. There's an interesting thing about how, how much of his face is in the shadows of the reflection versus Tony's is like fully like present. The first time you see Banner's reflection, you see most of his face. And the second time his face is like slightly more shadowed. And in my opinion, and again, maybe it's just wonky CGI, but I think that his head shape is slightly different, like not fully Hulk, Mm. but it does not look like just Mark Ruffalo. And to me, I feel like it's, a very whether it was intentional or not, I always thought that was very interesting because to me it was like just a brief moment of like kind of recognizing that the Hulk is under the surface, that he's kind of always waiting to sort of break out to come to the other side. A little bit of like the man in the mirror situation. I think you're getting to a good point. I think it's why we celebrate Hulk and why I, I'm right with you. Like I celebrate the earlier Hulk in the in the MCU precisely because we celebrate the archetype. Like he is interesting because he is an interesting storyline over time. He's Jekyll and Hyde. He is the duality of man. He is great power, great responsibility, and the fear of what what we hath wrought. And I think that's the interesting part. And as soon as you make him in control, this is the whole line of Professor Hulk, like we lose the mystique and the mystery and the challenge of what happens when we lose control. And I think that's it's no longer fun exploring that. It's like how I didn't like the Alanis Morissette or No Doubt albums after they got happy. Yes. <laughs> because it yeah. sort of became boring. Just like it's that. that same thing. It's, there's no conflict. There's no angst. There's no Alanis yeah. without the angst. The same could be said for Hulk. Yeah, exactly. The Hulk is the Alanis Morissette of the MCU. Like, I'm sorry to, to ruck, roll out that old cliche, but... Um, <laughs> old cliche. The old um, cliche. And, and Scarlett Johansson <laughs> is Gwen Stefani, like Natasha is Gwen Stefani. Is that fair? Oh, you're thinking about that. That was a finger-to-chin moment. Okay. I'm going to have to think about that. I'll come back to you. All right, um, please. That's interesting that you're having doubt about that. 
Well, I mean, there's, there's other, like, could she be like a Shirley Manson? Like a sort of lead singer of garbage sort of deal. She's yeah, more, no, that's actually not a bad point. Okay. But you already brought up No Doubt. So like, I mean, I think Tony's the Gwen Stefani, if anything. Because, like, he's sort of, like, SoCal carefree sort of mm, deal. He ain't no all about girl. Gotcha. I am upset at that. <laughs> yeah, um, because that was so, you mixed uh, generations <laughs> and missed the point entirely. <laughs> yeah, and so. exactly. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. In fact, cut out most of, we're going to cut out most of your track. It's just going to be silence. <laughs> Anyway, oh, were were you still making your point? I don't know where we are. Or... Oh no, just that uh, like when when someone's conflict, it's it's weird to um to watch a him having reached sort of a resolution in his conflict. Yes, because then it sort of is like oh okay. Yeah. What do you, so what do you, and that's why, you know, in the comics, it's always something. Well, Hulk's subtitle is basically, it's always something because you can't see him get through the thing and then move on. I think also there's something to be said for the Avengers comic has those people all have their own comic book titles. So you can see Hulk, well, Hulk isn't in the Avengers for almost ever in the comics, but like, you see Tony's sort of experience through the, his own comic. So that when he comes to the Avengers, he's had this whole thing where now we don't have to see him go through a whole thing in the team issue. And I think that because we haven't seen Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk in his own starring whatever at all ever, it's weird to see him sort of go through his whole arc, his whole character arc via these team movies like through other properties yeah or tv shows it, well yeah i mean and you can argue that the incredible hulk i mean there's definitely a through line coming from that film even though he wasn't in it i mean the right. whole the suicide attempt that that he talks about in this film was a you know the original opening of that film deleted scene and everything so i mean it's it's definitely there but i mean there's definitely a a line with hulk that is incredibly fascinating and i i believed i Aren't they still doing Planet Hulk? Didn't I hear that that's... They're hinting at it. ...in the works, or is that... They're they're definitely setting up the pieces. I think they kind of have to at this point, because I think that dropping um, his son, like, like just dropping that bomb and then never addressing it would be unhinged, I think. And, like, Marvel has, I think, occasionally made some missteps or kind of, like, retconned some stuff, moved some things on. But I feel like that would be a little bit too big of a step to to change. But like, I think the, the fascinating thing too, about the way the team works specifically in Avengers or really all these characters is that none of the characters, or at least none of the main heroes necessarily. Um, Cause I would, and I, this is going to sound bad and I, I need you to follow me on this, but I would argue that, you know, black widow and Hawkeye, although are featured in the six, they are not really the focus of this movie. They are definitely supporting characters within, like, kind of like the big three plus Hulk. They're coming in as the S.H.I.E.L.D. representative on the Right, team, so. and I yeah, think that right. that's, the, that's the thing that makes them a little bit interesting in this movie, too, is that, uh, like, they, but also, again, Hulk, is the only person who comes into this movie with really their whole thing figured out. So, like, they come in as fully developed heroes, characters, things like that, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man are still developing. They're still figuring things out. 
And so it makes it interesting that what you can then have is, is throughout the movies is some characters moving upwards while others are starting to fall or to kind of lose uh, some sense of themselves kind of thing. Because not to get too far ahead of ourselves or anything like that, but like in this movie, what works for Bruce Banner and the thing that he thinks that he has of that's my secret, I'm always angry. It turns out that like that kind of ends up biting him in the ass in the second film, because like when someone can prey on that and kind of heighten it, he kind of then doesn't trust himself anymore. And that's why I think he overcorrects eventually, like when he starts to fully pull himself out of this. And I do think that is what still makes some of the new stuff interesting for Hulk. But like these scenes here are great because there is that mystery of when is he going to snap? When is he going to have that moment where the monster is unleashed? And it's it's a little like Jaws too, right? Like at all times Jaws too. Okay. Uh it Tony <laughs> is always in the water. When, when Bruce bites that electric line. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, and it's just wild because at all times Fury Fury is like, it's the fourth of July, the beach has to be open. <laughs> and Tony Stark is like, How can we let this mayor run this with only one eye? How does he see things? Uh I'm I'm losing my thread a little bit, but I think at all times there is this thing where they're all in the boat, literally. They're on the helicarrier. And at all times, under the surface level, there is the threat of Bruce. Mm, which is the name of the shark in uh in Finding Nemo. Yes. It was I was kind of going for a, a shark joke. Yeah, yeah, like a sort of shark motif. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very I think that's very true. So many so many Bruce's. Also, Jaws was also named Bruce. Sorry, I just remember that. Well, that's what I thought you were referencing. Yeah, that, that's what Bruce. I thought it was too. Then but then he, when James then went for Nemo, funny, he was doing Finding Nemo joke, playing off of the Jaws Bruce. Here's the deal: I'm super young at heart, and I don't know <laughs> what is Jaws. Mm. I see. The, were there other Jaws movies before Jaws Four? Jaws is a yeah. joke in that Back to the Future movie, right? That means he can't even pull a pull a James Bond reference because that's also <laughs> too old. I will say I, I do look forward to you listening back to this and hearing me do a quick panic search of me going, wasn't the, I literally typed, was the name of Jaws Bruce was, was my Google search real fast. Like I got so nervous. That's so funny. But ironically, it was also Bruce in Finding Nemo played by the original actor of Bruce Wayne or Bruce Banner in the first Hulk with Ang Lee. Oh, I'm just, I'm just saying like, I'm not. Interesting. A kid. No, it wasn't. Yeah. No. Finding Nemo, it was not, he was one of the other sharks. No, he wasn't. He was his buddy. He was the main shark. No, no Bruce, he was his buddy. Bruce, Bruce was, was Bruce. Bruce was the big, deep voice. Uh, uh, it was uh, Barry Humphreys. Okay. Barry Humphreys. But see, I, I've forgotten the actor's name who actually played. Hello. Eric Banna. Eric Banna. Yeah, Eric Banna. He played Anchor. And Banna right. is. It uh, sounds like Banner. It sounds like Banner. When you say it with an Australian accent, you guys, <laughs> we've come full circle. We figured it out. Oh, oh wow, Eric and right. Bruce Banner. <laughs> can I? Can I? Uh, I'm going to stop this uh, this crazy train that we're on real quick. Sure. I just want to talk about uh, Black Sabbath. We haven't talked about this shirt yet. We haven't. Good. Yeah, it hasn't come up. I, I keep meaning to, and then it still hasn't. This was the 1978 Never Say Die U.S. tour uh, shirt. And the art, and um, I mean that's really all I had to say about it. But, <laughs> that, that but was, I love was it. That with uh, 
Was that with Dio? Was Dio the, the singer for, for Sabbath at that point? No. It was, uh, I believe it was the tour where um, uh, Roth went missing, wasn't it? I don't know. I only know Roth from Van Halen. Is there another Roth? They opened it. Um, they opened the tour. Oh, I see. The, you were talking about that, Roth. Got it. Yeah, they opened the tour, and... Um, You're saying David Lee Roth went missing on a Sabbath tour? That's what I thought. I was reading about this earlier, and if it wasn't him, it was somebody, because I know that they opened the show, and maybe Ozzy went missing. It was uh, it was the last album with Ozzy uh, on on the on Black Sabbath. Yeah, I don't know. I said all that, and now I can't find where I had been looking. But I swear that I saw something saying that on the tour, and I, I, I maybe it was Ozzy, but one of the two of those went missing on the tour. Or I swear it was on this tour. It may have been a different tour. Ozzy, when Ozzy went miss- missing on the '78 Black Sabbath Van Halen uh, tour, so it was Ozzy that went missing. Ozzy went missing. Okay. According to the search that I did, where I'm not going to click on the link because I think that the title says it all. <laughs> it looks a little fucking awesome. Funky, Research. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, that was the tour, and um, and you know, it's it's interesting that it's this particular shirt because this shirt uh, does not have, or this album does not have Iron Man on it, but they did actually do Iron Man in the set on the tour, so I guess that counts in some yeah. extent. But yeah. yeah. And in a way, I guess I, Tony kind of has a never say die attitude. <laughs> the, you could say that. You certainly could say that. The circle is complete. <laughs> it is. It is. We're always looking to complete these circles. What I love <laughs> mm-hmm. about this uh, freaky gas mask that's on this shirt is it kind of looks like an alien face hugger, mm-hmm. and uh, which is fascinating because it came out before the before alien did and it makes me wonder if hr giger saw this shirt and goes hmm i have some ideas you know hr giger noted plagiarist (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can see black sabbath in all of his work (laughs) if we're going to to go down this road uh the on the cover of the album it's a fighter pilot mask that is is the thing, and now I'm thinking of how that fighter pilot mask kind of looks like a face hugger too. And then you get into as the face hugger, like the military industrial complex, and it sort of you know makes you part of one big sort of hive mind sort of deal. Lays, Lays eggs, eggs in you, and yeah, exactly. Like More the military. military propaganda. Where will it stop? <laughs> Around every corner, even in space, they still get you. <laughs> even, <laughs> even in space, that's actually the motto of Space Force: is even in space, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> where no one can hear you scream conveniently. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. I was I saw the Black Sabbath shirt and I was going to comment on it, but I was like, there's no way that we haven't talked about it. And now we have. It's just one of those things that I, it's in my head and I just have I've not uh, not gotten to it. So I wrote myself a note. Make sure you talk about Black Sabbath today. <laughs> so there it was. Um, so, I, you know, I don't want to... <laughs> I kind of don't want to go back into the Tony and Bruce conversation because we've had oh, so much why? already. But I do, <laughs> I do have this one little thing because there was this, there was this line where Bruce was talking about how, um, how it seems like Bruce is tiptoeing and Tony is strutting is is kind of like the way that he words it. 
And what I do think is interesting, and this is just kind of going back to everything that we have said, is like, I do think that there is this interesting angle where you can look at how Bruce is reacting in this film, and even to to your point, the next film. But it gets to that point where he really becomes comfortable in, I guess you could say, in his skin, as far as the Hulk goes, and really starts strutting. And so that may be what we're seeing later in the franchise, as as Bruce is much more comfortable, to the point where he's kind of welcomed Hulk into his life full time, as we see in the later films. Despite one of my comments earlier about him having kind of everything figured out, I will say the one thing that he hasn't figured out yet, I think, I'm, I'm realizing this now, is also the concept of being a hero. Did you say that Bruce has everything figured out before? No, well, sorry, what I meant more of was like, was figuring out like his abilities, his powers, like kind of who he is. Like he has a system in play in power, again, of the always being angry, but being able to kind of keep it surface level. And that way he can kind of turn it on whenever he wants to. And the idea is that if he's always angry, nothing can really get to him and he can choose to, when to change, right? Which is, again, what this whole movie is about. Although, again, you'll, you'll find that there are times where Bruce can lose control, which is when Bruce is no longer, we'll say, home. You right, know? He's lying to himself, and, for yeah, sure. So we'll just say, that, in yeah. moments, we get to... Right, see, true, yeah. true. I mean, again, I don't necessarily... Mm, that's tough, because I don't necessarily think that's necessarily lying. I think it's just a matter of like when Bruce can't be there to keep things in check... That's when the monster can also come out to play. And I think that's different than, you know, him having, like, again, this, like, this control line, this control bit. Um, yeah, but, like, but if I you're think... thinking, I'm always angry and therefore I'm in control, ha, that's the solution. Someone's lying to someone. And I think it's you to yourself. Like, I don't think this is a system I think he thinks is working, but isn't working. He's going to have to revamp sure. uh, later. Um, but I also think that part of the way that he makes it work is he avoids people. You know what I mean? Like, he avoids being around everyone because in the event that something doesn't work out, he can just be around no one to hurt. Uh, and so that is another situation here, which is like, Tony is kind of like, I'm surprised you're not strutting, like, you're not letting the big guy walk. But it's like, when he's out, I can't really control him per se. And also, like, he is destructive. So, like, I don't think he can see himself as a hero, whereas Tony, who can also kind of go in and out of the persona, if you will, even though the persona is him just in a shiny new casing. You know, he can always be the hero at the forefront, whereas uh, Bruce can't, really. The, oh no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He, I don't know, I lost it. I had to just imagine that I said something like really poignant, uh, mm. and I can't think of what it was. Wow, good point, James. That was a real that, that touching. Thank I hadn't you. About that. Right, yeah. right wow. to the heart. Right to the heart. All right. Well, uh, let's shift gears. We've got a little bit here of Captain America, of Steve, as he, now that the seed has been planted by Tony and Bruce, he decides he's going to break into, uh, it seems kind of like the Raiders' vault somewhere on the helicarrier he's breaking into this room it doesn't trigger an alarm there are people inside up on an upper level although it seems like they're walking away but they don't hear him breaking the door to get in um all of this just so he can come in because he's now trying to figure out what is going on with phase two and that's uh, so we get get a little mystery the music is mysterious steve is being very quiet he's leaping quietly um, this is kind of where our minute ends. Uh, thoughts about this setup and the way that this scene plays. Yeah. How do they decide what mysterious objects they're going to store permanently on the helicarrier? Like, why does this room <laughs> exist? 
like the equivalent of the giant file room where lost objects are stored. Why is this here? I mean, I know they're actually, you know, he's finding weaponry stuff, but. I think that that's a lot of keeping it close at hand. Cause like, you know, personally, if this is going to be Nick Fury's personal base, essentially, right? Like if he's, if he's always going to be here, he doesn't want those falling into enemy hands. So if they're always nearby, they probably stand the greatest chance of not falling into someone's greedy little mitts. All the stuff that Fury said was really, really cool. And then that's it. He's just like, that one's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) If the Tesseract was not taken and it was not being studied, let's just say before Eric Selvig got involved in all of this, was the Tesseract stored in this room or was it stored somewhere uh, down on ground? Uh, I imagine on ground because they made it seem as though this was the maiden voyage of the helicarrier. Uh, Like they may have done like some test runs with it. But, like, I feel like the fact that this exists, I feel like you definitely would have heard of this outside of, like, you know, if they're doing test runs of it, like, sure, no one's probably going to be around. But I think that once it's launched, I think you kind of recognize it's there, you know, as as society. I mean, like, it is a little bit of, what's that? You know, I mean, like, it's huge. They haven't figured out the cloaking thing, I think, yet, right? If I'm not mistaken. No, they no, have. It's, it's cloaks. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's. Oh, I thought it was in the next close. movie for some reason. No. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I I didn't think that it. Well, they didn't seem to say that this was like the maiden voyage. It seemed to be old hat to a certain extent for at least the way that I read it for, uh, for the crew on board. It really only seemed like Steve and Bruce who were surprised by the whole thing. But uh, but yeah. I, so I don't know. Um. So um. Anyway, Pete. Uh, no, that was. I mean, that was that was a surprise to hear to hear that read on it because I I never thought of it. I guess I can make that. I can make that leap. It just seems like if it was the maiden voyage, like I felt like Steve and Bruce were were the audience surrogate for this experience. They're the right. ones who got to feel awkward. There should have been more. Like true. Yeah, I guess that's cry, a good point. Like pomp and circumstance. If this were really the maiden voyage. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. I think. Uh. I totally get that because I'm I'm thinking back on it now because it's been probably about a year or so since I've watched the movie as a whole. Uh, but you're right. It does stand to reason because like he, Nick Fury is so calm about it and does, uh, you know, kind of then make the bet of like, I think I've got something that you, you know, would be surprised by. And so he gives them the $10 or whatever. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm thinking back on it. You're right. There's definitely a lot of signs that would point to the idea that they've definitely been using this before. But still, I mean, it, it's an interesting, you know, I, don't know, I guess it's just an interesting thought experiment. Would the Tesseract be here? Or would it be down on some shield compound somewhere else? You know, I, I, it, it does make me wonder. I, it seems like they know just enough about the Tesseract maybe by now that they would have left it in a base somewhere, you know? Like, it just seems... Right. But I guess it speaks to, I mean, we've got this wishbone lab here, which, I mean, if it's not Bruce or Tony working in it, I assume there are regular S.H.I.E.L.D. scientists. Who knows? Eric might have been working in here before uh, these two. That's that's fair. Uh, and so it's entirely possible that, um, especially if they had been working on Phase 2, and I mean, we know there's a whole bunch of Phase 2 weaponry stored in this ship and i know that they had a bunch of it down in in the pegasus project that they uh, they got out of there before the whole place exploded but it does make me think that they could have had a lot of that they could have been developing it in here right 
and storing it while they were. Which would also make sense, I guess, to to be why they would choose to go down on the ground. Like, you know, he could be up there and go, there's not enough space. You know, we, we need, uh, we need to shift, you know, so then they, cause there's a lot of power. I mean, like when you look at the room that they're in, in that first scene there, uh, with a force shield, there is a lot of tech in that room, um, and a lot of cabling. So like, they definitely would have run out of space probably on the helicarrier. So that does make sense. Yeah. Right. Right. Just because of cabling is what you're saying. I mean, there was a significant <laughs> amount of cabling. I mean, yeah, but I mean, just it, overall, it's the amount of equipment where it's like we don't have enough room in this yeah. in this little <laughs> facility. We gotta we gotta branch out. And it's interesting, like you can see them developing or doing some experiments with the tesseract on the helicarrier, and then realizing, well, especially with Eric, depending on his state of mind as far as you know Loki's possession and whatnot, but saying, you know, I need, I need more space. I need to have because I mean, the NASA space that they filmed in was like a big dome. It was designed to, um, you know, withstand a lot of, um, you know pressure changes and all that sort of thing. So it's entirely possible that they would have said, you know what, let's get this down to the ground because we need a different sort of space. Let's partner with NASA on this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think NASA knows about the helicarrier? That's an interesting question. I don't know. uh, So in, in the realm of government agencies, we have the FBI, CIA, they know about each other. I assume there are levels of things within each that they don't necessarily know what's going right. on. But add S.H.I.E.L.D. into that mix, and then you start asking yourselves, okay, how much do each of these organizations actually know about things that they're doing? Right. That S.H.I.E.L.D. is up to for... I'm yeah. sure there's probably, within some reason, I'm sure there's some stuff that never gets shared, just for classified na- national security type situations. But I also think that there's probably at some point always like a, hey, just like the right people need to know about these three things because we need you to like if you hear about this, whatever, it's, you know, everything's cool. Everything's fine. Like it does not need to be looked into. We're doing this, you know. Um, But I also think that like I'm now wondering also, I mean, it's very possible that we didn't know when we first started everything how much we were going to do about the Infinity Stones, like, fully, Very right? true, right. Because, like, the Tesseract, I don't think, ever truly felt like it was the casing for an Infinity Stone until we were like, we need to have a reason why this thing has this power. And, the, you know, uh, and I feel like uh, an interesting thing about that, too, though, is that if there was an idea, at the very least, that maybe it could be, it's interesting that NASA would be in charge of a project that has to do with the space stone. NASA is also a triple secret government agency. I actually like living in a universe where that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant more of the, more of like it's a uh, like a, not a reference, but like a hint, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, just the idea of like, oh, we think it came from space, or we know it came from space, or whatever. So maybe NASA, but like, it's also like, hey. It's the space stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, they're all a little messy. The mind stone, you know, being the scepter. Like, there's there's things that just really clearly don't make a ton of sense. But but anyway, Captain America is prowling around right now. I had a a question about, about this that I never noticed. Okay. The hoodie that he appears to be wearing, that's his mask? Yeah, that's like his cowl. That's his cowl or whatever? Because he doesn't have a helmet. It looks like a hoodie. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, like I don't funny. know. It looks like he's like, like kind of like a cool, like hip new '90s version of Cap with his hoodie and like his multiple layers of like. Oh, he did it. He he got gussied up at Old Navy. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the next version where it's it he'll it'll be the same thing, but it will be like the hoodie that our kids wear, yeah. and it'll be this right. giant thing that hangs over his head. It won't be skin tight. It'll just right. be this big floppy blue thing, and people are like, how do you see through that thing? Be like it's totally fine. It, they just got it from Hot Topic. Spirit of Halloween, right. <laughs> right? Well, it's not like not like we haven't seen. I mean, Miles Morales ends up in in a big old hoodie outfit. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. We have precedent. I've never noticed it before, and it looks really. Uh, I don't know. Some I guess silly or something. It it feels like if it's skin tight, why would you ever take it off to just have it be hanging out, hanging like, out yeah. on the back of your neck? I don't know. The cap wants what it wants, I guess. But it's better than was it was it Val Kilmer's Batman where he takes the cowl off and it just rips as he takes no, it that's off. That's Michael Keaton. That was Michael Batman Keaton returns. Yeah, so I think it's better than that because like why would you want a whole bunch of disposable like gummy cowls? That seems ridiculous. They were licorice. <laughs> <laughs> Haribo. You need the gummy cowl so you can nibble yeah. on it. <laughs> mm, yummy. <laughs> I eat my way out every day. <laughs> that's right. Nom, that's nom, right. Nom. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap this minute up. Uh, We'll have you two back in um, uh, next two weeks from now uh, to talk about Minute 73. Um, But thank you so much for joining us uh, for this particular minute. We're thrilled to have had this conversation with you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, Tell everybody about your show and uh, what you two are up to. Sure. Uh, So we are Timeline Scavengers, a podcast specifically designed to last forever, where we are assembling the MCU timeline in historical order, which is chronological order, but like specifically about like scene time stamps framing, not like chronological as in Iron Man came out first. And then, you know, the way that this show, I would say, is chronological release, you know, Um, but uh, our show is historical order. uh, And uh, we are at the time of recording. We just finished um, 1971 with D.B. Cooper and Loki. Uh, so we're still going to be doing some 70s and 80s for the, for the next little bit. A lot of origin stories. And so if you want to find us, you can find us on Twitter at TimelineScav, or you can go to ThrowTheKidInTheRiver.com and go to uh, ScavengersNetwork.com slash TimelineScavengers, which I remembered now that I bought that domain on this show. Yes, When you were yeah. talking about you needed to make a new Patreon, I was like, wait a minute, do I still have this? And I went out and found it and I was like, yep, got to remember to bring that one back. Outstanding. Tell the people so. what you do when something like The Eternals comes out. Right. So we do a, uh, a lot of things called pickup episodes, which we actually, I believe we just finished, right? We did We did complete all of the Black Panther pickups, didn't we? We finished recording them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we, we have, uh, we record what we call pickup episodes. We release them kind of normally, essentially, just to let people see the notification that they're out. And then we backdate them to a proper time so they show up in the correct order on our uh, RSS feed. Um, so if you start from the beginning, it's as if they were always there. But shows like Loki, Shang-Chi, Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. Right, right. As a, as a plug for the show, I love the show because it's like bonkers that you would decide to do a show like this. It is like enormously compelling. But my favorite thing is that the show so thoroughly gaslights you as if you were so prepared and you've done all these shows until you get to one of these pickup <laughs> episodes and you hear you guys say, ugh. 
Okay, so we're going back to Babylon now. Like, yeah, so awesome. So I just love it. You guys have a great, uh, a great thing going. So it's a great, great show. I'm glad you could share some of that here. Thank you. Well, we'll have the links in the show notes, so everyone, you can go check them out and all of their stuff. Um, like I said, they'll be back to talk about Minute 73 in a couple of weeks. Uh, so that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 62 with another guest. So, Pete, thanks as always. I'm just hoping for more classic improv games, Andy. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. <laughs> Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>